this morning, if you have your Bibles, I would like to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 11, verses 11 through 16. Romans chapter 11. And this morning, our passage is in verses 11 through 16. In the first part of Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul was asking the question, did God reject his people? And why was Paul asking that question? Well, it's because of what he was saying in chapter 9, 30, all the way through chapter 10. And what he was saying there is that the Israelite people had been stubborn. The Israelite people had been hard-hearted. God had extended his invitation through his word. He had extended his invitation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had sent uh, the message of the apostles to them. He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to them, and they rejected him. So the apostle Paul looks at the, the unbelief of the Jewish people through the perspective of their own unbelief, their own rejection, their own stubbornness. And the Apostle Paul comes to the conclusion that, that they pursued God the wrong way. They pursued God as if they could find him through their own attainment of the law, through their own righteousness. And the Apostle Paul says they stumbled because they didn't pursue God by faith. They didn't pursue him through faith. And when Christ came, their long-awaited Messiah, the, that hundreds of years of prophecy had foretold, they missed him. They missed him. Their eyes were blind. Their ears were covered. They could not hear. Their hearts were hard. And they stubbornly refused to accept their Messiah, and they stubbornly refused to believe in the gospel. And so Paul puts the, the responsibility on their own shoulders. They're to blame for their failure to respond to the gospel. And so he asked the question then, so is God rejecting his people then? It's a legitimate question to ask to a people that had been so stubborn and, and not just in the time of Jesus or in the time of the apostles, but really throughout their whole history, right? Going all the way back to the time of the Exodus and the people of Israel come out under this great deliverance by God. And as soon as they get out into the wilderness, you see them grumbling and complaining. You see them engaging in false worship and making a an idol out of a golden calf. And throughout their whole history, you see them continuing to fall into idolatry and rebellion against God, against the covenant that they willingly entered into with God, right? God said, here's my laws, here are my words. And they said, we will do them. We receive them. And yet the large part of their history was not doing them, not receiving them, but rebelling against God. And so God sent them prophets. He sent them messengers. And what did they do to those prophets and those messengers? They either ignored them or they persecuted and killed them. And that's exactly what Jesus was talking about in the parable that we read a little bit earlier in the service. Matthew chapter 22. The, the parable of the one who invited guests to the wedding. That's a, that's a parable of Israel's history that he would send this invitation out and they blew him off. He sent more messengers out and they killed them. Those messengers are the prophets. And so then 
what happens in the end? He says, go out and invite anyone who will come. And so throughout their whole history, they've, they've been a stubborn people. And so he legitimately asked the question, has God rejected them then? Is God through with them? Is he done with them? And the Apostle Paul's answer is, is, could not be any stronger. He says, no, absolutely not. God has not rejected his people. And in verse 2 of Romans chapter 11, he says, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. In other words, the most unthinkable thing possible would be for God to reject his people. Because he's the one who chose them. He's the one who laid his love and affection and choice on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants. It would be completely unthinkable for God to go against his own elective choice. He's not rejected them. Okay, well, Paul, if God hasn't rejected his people, then what's going on? And Paul shows what's happening. And the proof that God has not rejected his people is in the existence of a remnant. The existence of a remnant that God has chosen by grace. And Paul is a member of that gracious remnant. Paul was a, an enemy of the gospel, an enemy of Jesus, an enemy of Christianity, and God got a hold of him and rescued him by grace. Paul's an example of God not giving up on the Jewish people. He's saving many of the Jewish people. But there are a many large majority of them who are not believing. Why? Because they've been hardened. They've been hardened. So God has had mercy on some, but a large majority of the Israelite people have become hard-hearted. God has hardened them. And they can't see, they can't hear. Their hearts are hard and they're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the gospel. And so Paul then asked the question in verse 11. Well, if, if God is saving a remnant then by grace, and by the way, that, that remnant that is saved by grace, that is totally from God. So the distinction between the ones chosen as a gracious remnant and the ones who are hardened, the distinction is not in their worthiness. It's not in anything that they had done. It's not in how good they were. The distinction comes from the sovereign will of God. And so he says, so some have been saved by grace, that given a gift that they did not deserve. The rest are hardened receiving what they deserve in their stubbornness and their rebellion. So is God... Have the rest of these who are hardened then, the rest of Israel, have they stumbled as to fall beyond recovery? He says in verse 11. And I think this gets at, is, is Israel's condition hopeless? Have they been completely rejected? Have they fallen so hard to the point where they are hopelessly, eternally lost, a lost cause. And again, he answers with the most emphatic negation. Not at all. God forbid. No. And here's the amazing thing that Paul is going to reveal. 
And, and this is something that, that I think if, if we think about it, it will blow our minds. Which is why this chapter ends the way it does in verses 33 to 36, where Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Who can discern his ways? Who has been his counselor? So why does Paul conclude with that? Because of what he's teaching us here. Of the grand plan of God in, in history and the way that he is saving people and drawing them to himself. It is, it is astounding. And so how, is, how does this work? Well, the way that this works, first of all, is Israel has been rejected, but that state is not permanent. Israel has been rejected, and it's a rejection that they deserved because of their unbelief, their stubbornness. So Israel has been set aside. They have been rejected, and God has now turned to the Gentiles. But that state of rejection for the Jewish people is not permanent. Have they stumbled so as to fall beyond recovery? Is their fall permanent? And Paul says, no. Their fall is not final. Their fall is not permanent. So why then? What's the purpose? What's going on here? What is God doing? Israel has been rejected, and rightfully so, because of their stubbornness and their unbelief. But all of that is a part of the sovereign plan of God. And he has set aside the Israelite people for a time. Why? So that he might turn his attention to the Gentiles. He says, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. I just want us to pause for a moment and think about what Paul just said there. Because of the unbelief and hard-heartedness of the descendants of Abraham, you and I are Christians. Just let that sink in for a moment. God's focus, God's attention throughout the entire Old Testament was on Israel, right? It was on Israel. He chose Abraham. He chose Isaac. He chose Jacob. He chose their descendants, the 12 tribes of Israel. They were his chosen people. And if you wanted to relate to God... In that time, you related to him through Israel, through the tabernacle, through the temple, through the priesthood, the high priesthood of Aaron's line. You related to him through the sacrificial system of Leviticus. You related to God through his law. That is how you related to him. So if you were a Gentile, you essentially became an Israelite in order to worship the one true God. God's focus was on Israel. Not completely exclusively, but almost. And now, those people that he has invested so much love and attention in, they've rejected his son. The ultimate gift 
that God could have given into his covenant people, they have rejected him. And so God, like just like the parable that Jesus told, all of the people that God originally invited and they rejected him and they killed his prophets, the owner of the house, the master of ceremonies of the wedding says, go out and invite whoever will come. What does that signify? It signifies God's turn to the Gentiles. Invite them all. Anyone who will come. Praise God. That God invited all of the nations to come to Christ in faith. Not just Jews, not just the Abrahamic peoples, all peoples on earth. Asian, African, Australian, American, South American, everyone, all nations on earth now come to God and they come to him through the one door of Jesus Christ. And that message of the gospel is freely preached to the whole world. And that's Paul's mission, isn't it? Paul's mission is to go to all the world and to preach the gospel. And really, Jesus gave us that mission too before he left, didn't he? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Now go and what? Go make disciples. Go preach the gospel, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go where to make disciples? Go to the nations. Go to all peoples. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You shall be my witnesses, where? Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then where? The uttermost parts of the earth. Go to the nations. So our inclusion in the people of God in a mysterious way that is sovereign and beyond our comprehension is because of the hard-heartedness and rejection of the Jews of Jesus. Their unbelief, their stubbornness, their hard-heartedness has led to our inclusion. And so that's why Paul can say in Ephesians 2, you who were once Gentiles, darkened, cut off, Aliens in this world, cut off from citizenship in Israel. Now you have been brought in, right? You've been brought in, made to become a part of this one new body of Christ, this one new man. We can call Jesus our Savior and we can call the God of the universe our Father because of the grace of God that turned to the Gentiles when the Jews rejected him. And so the purpose, the immediate purpose is of this rejection of the Jews is to bring salvation to the Gentiles. And that's not, God wasn't caught off guard by that, was he? This is a part of his plan. It's a part of his plan. And then what? What's his plan then? What's the ultimate goal of this? And here's where it gets even more striking. God has turned to the Gentiles, their transgression of the Jews. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Notice the very end of verse 11, to make Israel envious. To make Israel envious. God is going to provoke jealousy in the Jewish people 
when they see his grace and mercy and the gospel going out to the world. The Jewish people are going to see through that what they have been missing in the gracious gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to make Israel envious. So verse 12, but if their transgression means riches for the world, what does he mean there? Israel's transgression. If Israel's transgression means riches for the world in terms of gospel riches, right? The gospel of salvation going out to the world. So Israel's rejection means gospel to the world. And their loss means riches for the Gentiles. How much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? What is he saying there? He's saying there's a pattern. There's a cycle happening here. And in Paul's day, and we could even say to a certain extent, this situation of the unbelief of the Jewish people is still ongoing. This hard-heartedness. Now, are there still Jewish people believing in Jesus the Messiah? Absolutely. Just like Paul. Just like the 7,000 who didn't bow the, knee, bow the knee to Baal in Elijah's day. So there's still Jewish people coming to Jesus today. But in large part, our situation today is just like it was in Paul's. The vast majority of the Jewish people do not believe that Jesus is their Messiah and their Savior. So that's the situation. But then what? So the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. For what purpose? To provoke jealousy, envy among the Israelite people. For what ultimate goal? To bring them back in. Right? To bring them back in. And Paul is making a comparison here in verse 12. And the comparison is this. If the riches of the gospel have come to us Gentiles, how much more, how much greater will be the riches that flow to the Israelite people when they are included again? Verse 13, I'm talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I'm apostle to the Gentiles, and I take pride in my ministry, in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. Paul saw his mission to the Gentiles as also a mission to the Jews. That's astounding, isn't it? By him going out to the Gentiles and proclaiming to the nations the gospel of Jesus Christ, he was also hoping to arouse this jealousy on the part of his Jewish kinsmen so that they would believe in the gospel and be saved. And everywhere that Paul went, he didn't just go to the marketplaces and start talking to Gentiles. Paul also went to the synagogues to preach to the Jewish people. And his hope was that Jewish people would come to Jesus, their Messiah. And then he repeats in verses 15 and 16, this comparison again, for if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, again, their rejection of Jesus, 
is resulting in salvation for the nations. Them being reconciled to God. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Again, comparing the salvation of the Gentiles with the future salvation of the Israelite people that God still has in store for them. Their acceptance will be life from the dead. If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. And that image of the root and the branches, Paul is going to unfold more beginning in verse 17. But I don't want to go there yet. I just want us to think about this way of God's working. Israel had rejected Christ, and God's purpose in that was to bring salvation to the Gentiles. And then, but that wasn't the ultimate purpose. There was a purpose even beyond that. And that was to provoke jealousy and envy among the Jewish people. Why? For the ultimate purpose that they too would be saved and reconciled to God. And so that eventually Israel too would be brought back to God. And so we see toward the end of this chapter, in verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. That's an amazing plan, isn't it? This is, this is a global plan. You could not think of a bigger purpose than this. Because what this is talking about, this is talking about the whole world, right? All people that live on the earth. And it also includes a large sweep of the history of mankind, doesn't it? In God's dealings with the Jewish people, then his turn to the Gentiles, and then in the end, his return to the Jewish people. This is a part of God's huge plan for the ages and for the world. It doesn't get any bigger than that. And you and I, you and I are a part of that plan. And we have received grace by the gracious plan of God. We Gentiles have been included in Christ, in salvation, in eternal life because of this gracious plan of God. So have the Israelites fallen beyond repair? No. God has a plan for them. He has a plan for their future inclusion, for their future repentance, for their future regathering. And I believe that there will be, at some point in time, a great revival among the peoples of Abraham, and they will believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they will be brought back in, in this full inclusion that Paul is talking about here in Romans 11. So how do we fit into this plan right now? 
Well, we fit into this plan in a couple of ways. One, we're the recipients and beneficiaries of the grace of this plan, right? So, so we're a part of those Gentiles to whom the gospel has come because Israel has rejected Christ. So we are beneficiaries, recipients of the grace of God to the Gentiles through this plan. But there's another way that we fit into this plan as well. And I believe we take our cue in that from Paul. Because how does Paul see his role in this plan? Paul sees his role in this plan this way. He goes to the Gentiles and he preaches to them. He shares the gospel with them. And what is his hope in that? His hope in that is that they would be saved, right? But he also has another hope in that, in that his mission to the Gentiles will also stir up a, a desire among the part of the Israelite people to know Christ and, becomes, and be saved. So even though our role is not the same as Paul's, Paul served a very specific, special role in God's plan, but ours can be like his in the sense that we have all been called to share the gospel and be witnesses of the resurrected Christ, right? We've all been called to be witnesses of the resurrected Christ. So where we live right now in our sphere of influence, we live among the nations, We don't live among the Jewish people. We live among the nations. We are of the nations, the Gentiles. And so let our mission be among them as well. To seek for their salvation. And perhaps if God gives us opportunity to witness to a child of Abraham, let's witness to that person as well. And perhaps see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. In, in foresight of that ultimate inclusion that Paul is talking about here in this passage. So let's be thankful for the grace that has been shown to us and let's be faithful ambassadors for the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people that God has placed in our lives. And I, I want to just make one other application here and, and I hope I'm not stretching the application here too far. And the reason I say that is because what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about a very special, unique plan in the way that God is working among the Jews and the Gentiles. And so I want to be careful about taking that pattern and applying it to other situations of life. But I just want to offer this as a potential application. Maybe you've been witnessing to somebody. And they've been hard-hearted. And they have not received the gospel. Perhaps on a much smaller scale, God has a plan in that as well. Perhaps for their future salvation. But who knows? Maybe that particular individual will never be saved. But maybe other people that were in connection with them may be saved. We don't know how God works, do we? We don't know how he works. We don't know why certain things happen the way that they do. We don't know why certain people remain stubbornly opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But God has a plan in all of this. And it's a, it's a gracious plan. And so let me encourage you, if there's someone in your life that you've been witnessing to you and you hope will come to the gospel, keep praying for them. Keep praying for them and keep witnessing to them and keep sharing the gospel to them because we don't know what God's going to do in their lives. We don't know what he's going to do in their lives. We don't know what he's going to do in the lives of people around that person. But we know that God draws people to himself and he saves people. And we don't know how all that works out, and we can't see it because it's mysterious to us, but we just, we just serve his, as his channels of blessing, right? As his witnesses of grace. And so keep praying, keep sharing, keep witnessing, and trust God to accomplish his great saving purposes. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, you are so gracious and merciful to us, gracious beyond what we deserve. We thank you that your loving attention turned to us and that you set your love and your mercy upon us. Even though we are not physical descendants of Abraham, your grace has come to us, and now through faith we can be called children of Abraham. Thank you for the mystery of your sovereign ways in accomplishing your saving plan. Lord, just help us to marvel at the graciousness of it. And may that, may that worshipful amazement turn into zeal to share the gospel with those around us. And Lord, may you be pleased to draw them and open their eyes. And may you be pleased to see many, many saved around us. Use us as your instruments of grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.